You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Ask Drone You. Today we have a very special guest. She's been flying for a long time. But as a pilot, she has evolved from flying manned aircraft to unmanned aircraft. And now she uses drones in her job every day. Once as an investigator, but now as a technical analyst for the NTSB. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. So, Kathy, we, we all want to hear so much about you and what you do and how the NTSB is using drones in their daily efforts. So first off, let's just get started. How did you get into aviation? Uh, you know what? It's kind of a neat story. Um, I, I didn't grow up around planes. I didn't, I didn't, you know, there were no pilots in the family. And then uh, just, just one day somebody gave me a ride in a small airplane and that was it. It was just life-changing moment. And uh, so that week I started flying. Within a year I'd quit my job to go to grad school for aviation and just kept building flight ratings and flying and you know, eventually ended up at the NTSB. So how did you end up at the NTSB? That, that, that's a very like hard switch from, I love to fly to now I like to see how other people fly. Yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, so I've, I've been with the agency. I'm, I'm going on my, um, 18th year now. Um, I started, um, as an intern out of my master's degree, I came in as an unpaid intern and I was just determined that, you know, since I had my foot in the door, I was just never going to leave. And so I, you know, stayed around, kept building flight ratings, got a lot of on the job training, and then eventually got hired in as an entry level investigator, I think uh, back in 2003. Nice, nice. So help us understand what is the role of an investigator? What does the typical scene look like? I mean, how many general aviation crashes are there in a day? Because it's a question I get all the time since we've been talking about, you know, having classes at the NTSB. And people are just like, well, how many crashes are there? They don't hear of crashes very often. And I have to explain, well, it's general aviation. Yeah, and as, as you're probably aware, our agency, it's all modes of transportation. I mean, I personally work in aviation, but we also investigate um, railroad, marine, pipeline, hazmat, highway, and along with aviation. But so for in aviation only, um, general aviation, you're talking small two-seater type airplanes, you know, on up accidents and then you've got to get into something the definition of an accident can be a serious injury or substantial damage and it's a really tricky part if you bend the right thing it's substantial damage so it's technically an accident but there's about maybe 1400 a year about 300 of those are fatal but it's mostly small private aircraft wow 1400 per year but that's, I mean, that's somebody bending just the right thing or breaking just the right bone. I mean, it's not, they're not all just big catastrophe or anything like that. Understood. Now, when, let's take the example of a plane crash. Let's say a small Cessna, let's say 172 goes down. What typically happens when you're out there and you're investigating? Are you trying to figure out where the plane came down, the flight path? I mean, what does a typical investigation look like before drones? Okay, so, um, and, and you'll be surprised, they don't look that much different after drones. The drones just come in and get things done really efficiently and, and nicely. But um, so an investigator, like you mentioned, the, the example of a Cessna, uh, will have an investigator in charge go on scene. And uh, if it's a fatal, 
uh, if it's a fender bender, they might just work it from the uh, office. And then if there's maybe an engine exam or some kind of follow up, they'll chase that after the fact. But let's look at, a, a say, a fatal Cessna accident. Investigator goes on scene. We'll bring a couple of key resources, you know, probably a power plant specialist and an airframe specialist just to start out with. And then he or she kind of scopes their investigation from there, gets on scene, starts getting information in, witness information, air traffic control, and starts pulling in, you know, more specialized resources uh, to support that investigation. But, um, you know, a lot of photographs, a lot of measurements, a lot of specialists helping out on that. And it just just kind of grows from uh, from where they start out, what, the, what some of the things that they're seeing and what they might want to know more about. So before drones, what would the typical... I guess in the private world we would call it deliverables, but what would be the what would be the end product of what you would collect as an investigator? I mean, you talked about photographs, you talked about measurements, but I know a lot of guys who are or a lot of girls and guys who are listening to this show are probably being like, "Oh, I totally see how drones can help with measurements," you know, and they're getting excited now. So, how, oh. so help us paint the picture of what that looked like before. Drums. Yeah, well, actually, the end end deliverable in terms of National Transportation Safety Board, there's there's going to be a final report. Um, there's going to be a, with a lot of facts in it and then an analysis report um, that they're going to analyze the facts. And then it all comes down to a probable cause and safety recommendations that has not changed through the years. What has changed are the tools. And that's where the drones come in. So back in the day, me in 2003, I, I, we might have just started getting digital cameras then. But you're photographing what you see on scene. Um, you're measuring different things like, you know, the length of the ground scar, um, the, the lengths of different bends and breaks. Those are all the types of things you're going to photograph and, uh, you know, want to keep with you and use later. Um, I'm trying to think of all the different things you document. I, one thing where the, where the drone is coming in handy now is you've got an accident that's closing a runway or closing a road. I mean, it used to take a long time for us to get all the measurements and things that we needed in the photographs. And now we can just zip it with the drone, back it up in three places and, and let them move it. So there's a lot of efficiency there. So help us understand just how much time efficiency that would save if you were. Oh. <laughs> a ton. It, 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 it's a ton. And it, and it, it depends on what you're doing. Um, I mean, it's just so fast. And, and I think it's, it's you'll have to ask Bill because they, they've actually um, one accident that they were mapping in the Grand Canyon. They had the guys with the total station and then we had the drone. And then um, another one, they had a guy on a runway with the wheel measuring everything in the drone and, and just, I mean, speed, safety, you know, as far as not having to get personnel in all these places, getting airports open again. I mean, the drones are just fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. Could you say that like it's a magnitude of scale that you save like for every hour you did it the other way, it's now five minutes with the drone? I, I, you're going to have to get back because I know the, the Grand Canyon one it was, it was huge. Um, it, it, it's, just, it's just unbelievable how much time you're saving. And, and that's, that's time where, you know, if you've got one investigator and a couple of resources tied up on a scene – and you're tied up with that task of all that measuring. You may have witnesses that were kind of hanging around that were like, well, you know what, we're out of here. Or, you know, weather's coming in or something. It's like to, to have the drone come in, get all that taken care of and, and done um, is, is just amazing. So how I guess uh, maybe a better question is, is when you're utilizing the drone, um, you know, one thing I'd like to ask the question of is what type of deliverables does the drone add to the investigation? But yeah. also... 
How long does it typically take to, let's say, again, small plane crash, Cessna 172 in the middle of a field, didn't hit a house. How long is it typically taking to map that site? Because a lot of people argue that, you know, government employees, they're just completely inefficient. They're not smart. They're not technically savvy. And here you are. And you're just like, well, hold on a minute. So... Yeah, here's here's a story um, on how quick one was. Um, Bill and I, and you met Bill, our, Bill English, our program lead. Uh, we were at Interdrone in Las Vegas, and we were there attending classes and doing whatever. And an aircraft crashed, fatal accident, small aircraft in Gene, Nevada, which is about 30 miles up the street. And he, he had a drone with him, and I'm like, well, I got some hiking pants. And we were there for the conference. And uh, we're like, yeah, well, let's go map it in the morning. And we had an investigator on the way, and the aircraft was so severely burned, and the FAA had been there, the police had been there, nobody knew what it was. So Bill and I leave out first thing in the morning. I think we left at 5 or 6, found a 24-hour Walmart. Let me tell you, a 24-hour Walmart in, in Vegas is pretty interesting. <laughs> um, but but um, got ourselves some gloves, got some paint, headed out with the drone, um, got out there, while he sat up the drone, I was looking at the burned wreckage, found the data plate of the aircraft, found out what it was, identified it, let the police know, let our investigator know, like texted him. He was on his way. And Bill and I had that thing. We did some grids. We did some videos. We did some maps. We had our field notes done. We had a low-resolution KML all ready for the investigator before he got on scene, and we were already back at Interdrone, and we'd only missed two morning classes. So wow. it's fast. It's wow. really fast. Yeah. So, okay, you kind of told us what the deliverables look like pre-drone investigation. What about post-drone? What typical files are super valuable to your team? Yeah, and I mean, it's it depends on, um, you know, what the type of accident is and what the type of thing the investigator is looking for. Um, you know, very common thing. It's nice for them to get some good, some good overview shots. Some pictures that have, you know, breaks in the trees, ground scars, do an ortho mosaic so they can run measurements off that, send the drone up and look back toward a runway. So we can snap measurements off that as well. You know, how far was the aircraft from the runway and, and things that used to take a long time to get um, within a matter of hours. We'll process it low resolution. We'll give them our field notes and we'll type up you know, heading of the aircraft, length of the ground scar, initial to the end, you know, distance to runway, all kinds of just basic stuff that they can write their preliminary report on. But depending on what else they need, uh, it, it can just go from there. And, and that happened to me when I went out to South Carolina, there was a, a Falcon jet that went off the end of the runway. And I was on my way to something else. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll do a couple grids, do a couple orbits, do a nice shot. And then it turned out that we might be needing some runway information that, you know, to of the quality that could support an aircraft performance study. So I mapped the whole runway at a class D airport. So it, it, it evolved. You, you get there and it was, and we kept it open the whole time too. Just worked in with the traffic. That's, um, a, that's a really powerful message for anyone who's in air traffic control. Listening to this. She mapped a runway while the airspace was still open. I got to hand it to the controllers at Greenville, it, it was it was a learning process for it, and I'm kind of the new guy with the drones in in the NTSB. But um, we had an SGI. We could have shut it down, and went out there, and the tower manager came and met with us in the morning. And when I was just doing orbits and things over the wreckage, I, it was like you don't need to shut your operations down. I'm going to be. And it was kind of terrorist, and it it you know we were down low, so they, there there were planes going off over us the whole time, but we could have shut them down. 
But when it came to mapping the runway, and they had intersecting runways and a very active airport, the morning controller was a little uncomfortable with the drone, and so he was shutting down sections of the runway. And um, But the afternoon controller, I'm like, look, dude, I, I'm an aircraft. I Land me. I'll, I'll do anything you want. Get me out of the way. And, and by the time we were done with that site, you know, I'd hear he'd have someone coming inbound calling eight miles out. I knew to start bringing it in. He'd tell them he wouldn't give a clearance till they're two miles out. He'd tell me to land. I'd say down and clear two miles. They're clear to land. And then boom, the jet would come and then they'd NTSB resume. It was the coolest thing to just work right in with the, with the traffic. That's and we got it done so fast. And then went up to the tower afterwards to thank them and see them and, and asked if they ever saw the drone. They never saw it. They saw me and they never saw the drone. So they could never even from the tower see the drone. No. And we always make a point to ask that. So he, you know, he saw me in my vest um, you know, he knew when I was pulling it in, but he said they were, they were looking for it and they never, they never saw it. Yeah. That says a whole lot about the ability to see drones that miraculously hit airplanes. Aeromexico. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really, really interesting, uh, how the human eye is very limited in what it can see, but it's also super empowering to hear how, even though you do have the authority to completely shut the airport down get what you needed to do. And I could totally see how people may have the perception that, you know, federal investigators or officers or agents, whatever the the vernacular is, would just be like, shut it down. This is my airspace. I'm going to get it done. But no, you you know, you guys collaborate with people and you work with people. And it's just a message that I, I just love hearing personally. And I'm sure other people will love hearing as well. Now, there was one particular story I think you wanted to kind of talk about, which was aircraft performance report. Is that right? Aircraft performance report. Um, Investigation report you were mentioning about how you can get all of that done. And the reason I brought this up is because I wanted to talk about the performance of an aircraft before it even takes off. Because in one of your cases, and I think Bill has presented this information, and now you've, you've kind of been going through all the information, sifting through it technically, is the MD-80, the MD-80 that had wind damage. And, you know, just help us understand how your investigation work helped understand this aircraft performance report that this aircraft was broken before it even took off and why there was an issue. Yeah, they, the the drone um, the drone work that and this was both Bill and Mike did the drone work on this uh, on this case is just is just absolutely phenomenal and just a really interesting use case of the drone. Our public docket on this is open, so the the report from the UAS work is is already publicly available. So everything I'm telling you is public. But so it was an MD83 in Ypsilanti, Michigan. It had um, University of Michigan basketball team on board. Um, went off the end of the runway, went off the end of the runway, went through a fence, hit some things, but everybody was fine. Um, everybody survived, but they found out early in the investigation that the elevator on the airplane, which is, you know, part of the control surface that, you know, you can pull to, to get the lift. Pull up. Was jammed. <laughs> pull up. Yes. Yes. So, uh, it was jammed and, um, there, there were some known, you know, just in the, as the investigators were getting into it. There were some known instances where if a, a surface gust wind of a, you know, certain, uh, the certification basis for the airplane, if it, if it exceeded that, you could jam an elevator that way. But no known winds at the airport had exceeded that certification design limit. So the investigators were like, well, geez, you know, how, how did this surface become broken? 
And, um, well, they wanted to do a wind study at the airport because they looked pretty quickly that the airplane had been parked downwind of a really large hangar. I think it was about a, you know, a mile and a quarter long and, uh, or a quarter mile long, I'm sorry. And, um, they thought, well, maybe that somehow, you know, got interacting with the wind flow and that had something to do with it. So basically Bill and Mike took the drone and with the imagery they got, they made a 3D model of that hangar and put it into a computational fluid dynamic study so they could simulate how that hangar could interfere with the wind and how it would react at that airplane's parked location. And that gave the investigators some idea that there really was, it was affecting the wind, there was turbulent wind where the airplane was parked. And then that gave them an idea of what kind of uh, load studies to do on the tail to see what kind of wind it would take to break it. So... So with, with the 3D model, they were able to tell that essentially too much wind had been hitting the surfaces of the airplane, thus causing it to malfunction, and the elevator never worked. Is that correct? Not exactly, um, but but as fast as I spit it out, um, you know, you're getting pretty close. So basically, the this, this straight line winds that were coming across that hangar toward the airplane, when they hit that hangar, that hangar introduced like different types of turbulence and, and vortices and things that could kind of, you know, dynamically hit that tail. And those were the types of things that the investigators were looking at, like, would that be sufficient to break it? And that's the type of analysis that'll come out in the final report. But the, uh, the wind study and the drone work is all publicly available now. So was the wind enough to cause damage? Oh, we shall see <laughs> when the report comes out. You know, we want to know. Um, but uh, if you go into the docket, you can see the writing on the wall. But um, again, that one sh- should have been out on January fifteenth, and I uh, would have been—I'd be able to tell you everything about it. But right now, I'm having to stick to just the little factoids. Um, but it, it's a fantastic case. It's a—it's a fantastic uh, use case of the drone, and then just just the investigation behind it's phenomenal. Yeah, no, it is a really cool process. It's really cool. Uh, what you're doing. And I know little girls everywhere are looking up to you being like, I want to be her. So I think that you inspire and motivate a lot of people. And I think it's really cool what you're doing. So I guess my next question is, is how do you see drones playing a future role with the NTSB? Uh, well, we're, we're expanding our cadre. And, and for everybody who's sitting out there going, oh, how do I get a drone job with the NTSB? Um, we, we all have regular day jobs with the agency. So our, our drone work for each of us is an ancillary duty. Um, right now, there's there's three of us, um, a, actually a fourth. I think um, Josh, on his he's an investigator and on his own investigation took his drone with him because he's he's checked out and ready to go. So there's four of us, um, but we're we're looking to expand um, so we got better coverage across the country. But we're just always finding new uses for it. I mean, Bill has done. Um, you know, where there was a washout underneath a railroad bed that there was a derailment and he did some volumetric work on that to see, you know, how much had washed out, you know, just to help with the civil engineering, you know, after the fact. Sightline studies to look for blind spots. If, you know, we can run video, um, we run video at night because uh, like if we've got aircraft data and anything that any data we've got for them that's below 400 feet we can plug into the drone and refly it with the drone and the same lighting conditions or the same, you know, whatever. And it just, it gives the investigators ideas, you know, wait, well, are there, is this a kind of a black area? Could there possibly be, you know, visual illusion type stuff we should be looking at or things like that. It just, it gives them a lot of information really fast to just kind of help them along in their process. That's, that's awesome. By the way, was Josh at the class hosted at the NTSB? Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah I they, they turned him loose already. Yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. But he, he was it was his own investigation, and and uh, and he went. That's so, so Bill, cool. Bill told me that today. So there's so now there's technically four of us. That's awesome. So drones will, you know, it's it's, it's amazing because oftentimes I find it difficult to um, orate the use and value of drones because it provides such an astronomical amount of data. It's difficult to navigate that sea of data unless you know what you're looking for. So I think it's really powerful to hear you say, well, we're constantly finding new uses for the data. And I would say for everyone listening to this show, Make sure you heard that, right? You're always finding new uses for the drones because they're providing data in 3D space that is, well, not really available until, well, now recently. So, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really happy to have you on the show. It's really amazing to see what you're doing. And if everyone's watching and listening, which you are, I've flown with Kathy. And she's actually a very, very, very solid pilot. I would trust her. I'm just saying. We have to make sure that we have the best pilots on the show, Kathy. So you are you are vetted. You're good. <laughs> she flew the obstacle course. She's good to go. In Addy mode. In Addy mode. That's right. In Addy mode. Well, Kathy, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. All right, everyone. That is going to do it for our show today. If you want to check out the NTSB docket, it is online, ntsb.gov. Check it out. Uh, we actually have a new upcoming training as well, May 14th through May 17th hosted at the NTSB Training Academy, which we will actually be showcasing a new Cessna exercise and go over exactly what you would need to know to map that. Kathy, again, you rock. Can't wait to see what you do in the future. And everyone, thanks again for listening. You're listening to another awesome episode of Ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.